so over the course, thanks for being here today. I know there's a lot of different um, stuff that is going on, and frankly, I wish I could go to a couple of the other things that were happening at the 11 o'clock time. Let me tell you what it is I'm trying to do over the next two days, and hopefully it'll be helpful for you. There, the reason I wanted to do this, especially for church leaders, teachers, and preachers, um, I have a friend who's like a friend of Pepperdine, who um, great New Testament scholar named Scott McKnight. And about five or six years ago, I asked Scott McKnight, what should I preach on? What, what word needs to be spoken into our churches? And he said, wisdom. And I thought that was a dumb suggestion. <laughs> because it didn't really make sense what he was talking about. Like, what are you going to talk? You, be more wise. And um, just kind of working through what that meant. And then once I got what it meant, I realized this would be huge for our churches and church people. So there's, a, there's some resources that I, I'm going to point you to towards the end of tomorrow. Um, the, the danger of preaching wisdom, and I'm going to kind of walk you through uh, how to preach, teach, understand, and think about wisdom, and specifically located in the book of Proverbs. But the danger for our tribe when it comes to preaching and teaching and talking about wisdom is there's a certain kind of moralism that our people are like, yeah. What goes around comes around, doesn't it? And there is a Christian way of reading the book of Proverbs that I think subverts the whole thing. And I wish I, wish I could just start with it now. Um, I would love to tell you what I'm going to tell you tomorrow at the very end of the, our time together now because I think it changes the way you read Proverbs. But you can't appreciate until you kind of walk through a little bit of Proverbs. So let's get started. Yes, or no. They are the two most powerful words in the English language. With them, you open up new plot lines, you open up new doors, you close old trajectories, and you, you know, create new ones, right? They are the most powerful words because they will help you define your life, what you are known for in your life. And you get this, right? Every one of us, you can, you know, if you had just a couple of minutes to think about it, you could come up with some, a few different times in your life that the words yes or no changed the trajectory of your life. So when I was 21 years old, I was you know, at Harding University in Greece. Um, I would, I'd been dating Leslie for a couple of years, and we were on free travel with a couple of our friends, and we were in Nuremberg, Germany, which is important because that was the place, the city that Leslie wanted to go more than any other city on free travel. It was where there was a Christmas market. She thought that was going to be really romantic. And it was also why I had a ring in my pocket on that night as we're walking along in December in the cold in Nuremberg, Germany. We're walking along. I'm planning on proposing. I have gone to great lengths to make this a surprise. I am not one of those people that wants to like fill out whether or not it's going to be a yes or no. If I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this. So I've gone to great lengths to surprise her, to make this special. Like one of the things I had done was back when we were in Egypt, I had bought her a cartouche, which is like this, you know, uh, in hieroglyphics it said, Leslie, will you marry me? But what I did not realize is how many hieroglyphics that would take to say that. So what I thought was going to be like this really sleek little necklace wound up being like a Mr. T starter kit. You know, it was this giant thing, and I told her it says Leslie is pretty on it or something. And, you know, I was going to give her the translation in Nuremberg, Germany. And uh, I'd done all, uh, several things along the way, um, and one of those things was I had lied to her. 
a couple of different times so she would not know what was coming. But she had earlier that day pieced together that there was a gap between the stuff that I had told her and the truth. So guess what we were talking about as we walked along Nuremberg, Germany that night. And then Leslie goes, I really think we should break up. And she totally breaks up with me. And I'm not talking about the let's take a break and, you know, think about this in a couple of weeks. I mean like a, a couple of steps back from a restraining order kind of breakup. So we're walking along and I've got this ring in my pocket and I think... Should I just go ahead and do it anyway? And so I do. I'm like, hey, let me tell you, um, the reason I lied was I told her this. And by the way, um, here's a translation thing for that hubcap you're wearing around your neck. And then I get down on my knee and I'm like, will you marry me to a woman who has just five minutes earlier broken up with me? And you could see it in her eyes. She's thinking, maybe he doesn't get how relationships work. Because <laughs> what I just said was the opposite direction of what we are doing. And then in a, like a couple of seconds that felt like eternity passed. And then finally Leslie spoke the words that changed the trajectory of both of our lives. Do you know that 70 times a day the average human being says yes or no? And that adds up. Over the course of your life, that adds up. That's about 500 decisions a week, about 20,000 decisions a year. There's this one philosopher, a guy named Albert Camus, who says the, who we really are, our deepest identity, is the sum of those choices. And I think he's on to something. I think intuitively we realize he's on to something. Everybody in this room gets that you are who you are because on some level you've chosen it. And that's the point of wisdom. Basically what wisdom is trying to say is that every decision has a direction. And it may, it may be right or it may be wrong for you to put that on credit. It, it might be right or wrong, but it certainly is a direction. It may be right or wrong for you to date him or her, but it certainly is a direction. And you, you've chosen it. On relationally, spiritually, emotionally, and again, it could be right, it could be wrong, but the direction of it is what wisdom wants you to um, pay attention to. And the reason this is interesting is because, tell me if this doesn't ring true to you in American churches, we talk about things through the grid of are things right or wrong? And the Bible seems to have a different grid, the grid of wisdom versus foolishness. Like, uh, think, about, think about the way this plays out. When you, when you talk about things in, in terms of right or wrong, you have totally different kinds of conversations, right? And you rarely talk about where will this lead ultimately. You, you find people honestly blaming God for a lot of really foolish decisions. We thought that was right. We thought, you know, we, if we did that. And they never paid attention to where it was headed. The Bible's word for this, for thinking through where does this lead, is this profound word wisdom. When we think of wisdom, often we think of like older people or maybe exotic, you know, monasteries in the Far East or whatever. Um, but the Bible is filled with these books that are from the wisdom tradition. And it, it, I've never really known what to do with them until a couple of years ago. Um, you know, what do you do with Proverbs? Because Proverbs kind of feels like a bunch of fortune cookies thrown together, doesn't it? 
and like if they disagree with each other, there's all these, you know, it's all over the place with what the Proverbs are actually saying. And so I want to give you kind of the framework. And it's not, it's not very sexy what we're going to do today, but it actually makes this part of the Bible and wisdom tradition come alive for you. If you'll stick with me um, for the, you know, I think today will be helpful. And I think tomorrow, because tomorrow we're going to talk, we're gonna get, I'm going to give you a couple examples of how the wisdom tradition works with, I think it's friendships, money, sex, and then I'm going to subvert the whole thing in the name of Jesus because I think Jesus does that. Um, in a way that's really, really, really cool. And I, again, I wish I could do it for you right now. If you miss tomorrow, if you're here today and you're going to miss tomorrow, then at least listen to it on the on podcast. You can, you can stop at about the 30-minute mark and start there because um, I think it'll be helpful. But here's what, it's, here's what the wisdom tradition is trying to get us to be. It's trying to get us to be men and women that navigate life well. How do you deal with difficult people? How do you deal with uncomfortable situations? Because... Um, one of the things is the people in our churches, the stuff that they're wrestling with isn't, um, isn't so much the stuff that our ministers or leaders are talking about. You know, we're talking about these big issues or, or what, you know, trajectories of churches of Christ or whatever. You know what they're frustrated with? Should I loan my uncle money at Christmas? I mean, it's like, and the Bible is actually very interested in us becoming the kinds of people who can navigate those kind of choices, how to how to know how to become the kind of person that know, knows when to say yes and when to say no, um, and the reason this is important for church leaders to get is because come on, I, you know I I worked in with college students for the last fifteen years, and the number one question I got was not about um, can I lose my salvation or whatever, it was what's God's will for my life. And it looked a lot of different ways. Sometimes it was, should I marry that person? Should I date that person? What should my major be? But underneath it, they had this sense that God had a strong calling on their life and that they were supposed to do something um, about, you know, should I, should I go to grad school? Should I take that job? And while the Bible doesn't have answers to every specific question, that doesn't mean the Bible's not interested in the answers to those questions. Because it really is, especially the wisdom tradition, is trying to help us become the kind of man or woman who can navigate life, those kind of choices, wisely. And in order for me to help kind of set this up and set the book of Proverbs up for you, I want to tell you a story. And it's a story that if you've grown up in church, you've heard it, but you might not have connected this to the book of Proverbs. So in 1 Kings chapter 3, we're going to start in verse 5. It says, uh, add, let me set this up for you. Solomon is this freshly minted king. Um, you know, David, there was a little bit of a coup uh, with making that happen. His other son tried to uh, be the king, and then Solomon finally is brought in. So that's kind of the context. He's on shaky ground already. He's a young guy. David was a pretty great king. And his first, basically, you know, he's just starting out. He's going to rule this great nation. But before he's going to do that, he's going to need a nap. So in verse 5, it says, At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream, and God said, Ask for whatever you want me to give you. Solomon answered, You have shown great kindness to your servant, my father David, because he was faithful to you and righteous and upright in heart. You have continued this great kindness to him and have given him a son to sit on his throne this very day. Now, my Lord, my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David, but I am only a little child and do not know how to carry out my duties. Your servant is here among the people you have chosen, 
a great people, too numerous to count or to number. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish, watch that, to distinguish between right and wrong. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? And the Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this. So God said to him, Since you have asked for this, and not for long life or wealth for yourself, nor have you asked for the death of your enemies, but for discernment and administering justice, I will do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart, so that there will never have been anyone like you, nor will there ever be. Moreover, I will give you what you have not asked for both wealth and honor, so that in your lifetime you will have no equal among kings. And if you walk in obedience to me and keep my decrees and commands as David your father did, I will give you a long life. Then Solomon awoke and he realized it has been a dream. Okay, the first thing I want you to pay attention to is God's question to Solomon is a question to every one of us. And it is a question that I think we do an abysmal job at answering. What do you want? Really. Not what the advertisers make you think you should want. Not what, you know, you're, what do you want? What kind of life do you really want? I think it's a question we all have to come to terms with because it is the driving force of your life. And if we're not honest with ourselves, if we don't get the honest answer out up on the table, here's what happens. You end up in a place that you never, ever wanted. But you ultimately chose day by day. That's what wisdom, that, that's the first thing wisdom's trying to get out on the table. What do you really want? Do you like the way your life is, the direction that your life is headed? Really? Because you realize you're choosing it. On some level, and yeah, there are other outside forces, and yeah, you were born into that family, and yeah, you didn't have, the, you know, all those things may be true, but on some level, you are where you are. We are, all are where we are, because we have chosen it. So, the question right from the beginning is, when you get what you want, will you want what you got? And that's why God starts that question there. What do you really Want. And Solomon responds by, and this is what's so great, this is the beginning of wisdom. Solomon begins by realizing he doesn't have it. He, re he realizes the value of it. He realizes the importance of, okay, if I'm, I'm this young guy, I have way more authority than, I have outkicked my coverage. I, my life experience and my life responsibility, there is a vast gap between that. And all these people are depending on me. And God, I want to honor you. And he realizes he cannot do the things he, he needs to do with the resources that he currently has. Now, in order for you to appreciate this story, you've got to remember, what has just happened in Solomon's life? He is the brand new king. And the first, you know, what, what do people, when they're you know, brand new in leadership... They want to come off confident, right? They want to come off like, I know where I'm going. I will you know, steer this ship in the right direction. And in order for this story to become public record, like to make it in 1 Kings 3, at some level, this became public. Which meant that Solomon's first act as king was, <clears throat> I'm, a, I'm not very good at this, was admitting there's some humility in it, and that's the beginning of wisdom. The way the other wisdom tradition would say is the fear of the Lord. Pro proper perspective of yourself. So um, that, that's what 
the story starts off. And then the very next part of this story, and again, if you grew up in church, you know this story, but listen, if you are under the age of 30, you might not know this story, and I'm telling you, it is so fun to teach <laughs> people who have not heard this story this story. It's bizarre, disturbing, um, really, really problematic text that's actually brilliant. So, next part of this, verse 16. Now, two prostitutes, just right after he's been given the wisdom from God, two prostitutes came to the king and stood before him. One of them said, Pardon me, my lord, this woman and I live in the same house, and I had a baby while she was there with me. The third day after my child was born, this woman also had a baby. We were alone, and there was no one in the house but the two of us. During the night, this woman's son died while she lay on him. So she got up in the middle of the night and took my son from my side while I, your servant, was asleep. She put him by her breast and put her dead son by my breast. The next morning, I got up to nurse my son, and he was dead. But when I looked at him closely in the morning light, I saw it wasn't the son I had born. The other woman said, no, the living one is my son, and the dead one is yours. But the first one insisted, no, the dead one is yours, the living one is mine. And so they argued before the king. The king said, this one says, my son is alive and your son is dead, while that one says, no, your son is dead and mine is alive. Then the king said, bring me a sword. So they brought a sword for the king, and he then gave an order, cut the living child in two and give half to one and half to the other. The woman whose son was alive and deeply moved out of love for her son said to the king, please, my lord, give her the living baby, don't kill him. But the other said, neither I nor you shall have him, cut him in two. Then the king gave his ruling, give the living baby to the first one, do not kill him, she is his mother. When all Israel heard the verdict the king had given, they held the king in awe because they saw he had wisdom from God to administer justice. Here's the point. Immediately after God gives Solomon wisdom, there's this really problematic story that is what wisdom looks like in practice. Because this is a yes or no thing, right? They've brought it to Solomon to be the judge, and they're asking for justice when it doesn't look like justice is an option. That this is a tragic story, and there's no solution that leaves, you know, that fixes everything. This one woman, she smothered her child by accident, and back in that day, a, a woman, that was the only honor these two sex workers basically had. That was like their you know, retirement. It was their, and so it's this huge thing. And so uh, Solomon's here in this story, and here's what he knows. In the Hebrew, the word compassion is the same word for a mother's womb. So he is doing the only possible thing that could be redemptive here. There's a comedian that I really like named John Mulaney who grew up in Catholic school, and he said th at this point when they taught him this story in Catholic school, he was like, nope, I don't like the Bible anymore because that's a really problematic story. He's like, think about this ethic. You know, if I was walking along the um, street and I saw a little kid getting beat up and I was like, hey, you shouldn't beat that kid up, by this logic they'd be like, oh, here comes the dad. Give him to him, you know. And So no, just because you care about somebody not getting beat up doesn't mean you should. But... The point of this story is, what do you do when there is no right thing to do? What do you do when there's no good options? Okay, so how many of y'all have heard of utilitarian ethics? Okay, how many of y'all heard that from The Good Place? The show The Good Place. Let's, let's kind of do this. Let's, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you this, and let's see if you have any suggestions for me. I, let's, let's do some crowd participation now. So there's a, uh, 
Utilitarian ethics basically is, um, they, they tell a parable. Utilitarian ethics is, do the ends justify the means? That's the question that utilitarian ethics is asking. And so there's this parable of the trolley, which is, um, let's say a train or a trolley is on the track, and it's going to hit five people. But right before it gets to those five people, there's a fork in the tracks. And if you pull a lever, it will turn and steer away from those five people, but it will hit one person. Would you pull that lever? How many people? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. Uh, I mean, basically, it's a five for one. You will do what? Are you saying, I don't know if you'd like the five people? Yeah, yeah. So would you pull the lever? You would pull the lever. Okay, yeah, that was really quick. Um, so, yeah, anybody else? Anybody have a counter opinion to pulling the lever, saving the five? Yeah, <laughs> no, you can't get creative with this. You would not pull the lever. Why would you not pull the lever? Leave it up to God, you know. Yeah, because, I mean, think about How are you going to sleep with yourself at night? That one person's somebody's mom or somebody's dad or brother or, you know, loved by somebody. And you're, you're going to be culpable for that. Okay, so here's where utilitarian ethics gets really interesting. What if it was two people? Does it change if you pull the lever or not? Is that is five? Is that, is that the is the number the thing, or is it you being culpable? And so um, the <laughs> the a lot of people will pull the lever, and then the question becomes, what if you have to get more involved? So you said you would pull the lever. Um, I think the way a util an ethics professor would do this was they they would say. What if you had to push somebody in front of the train? Would you do that? Right, because it's now all of a sudden it's a little bit more intimate, right? You're like, that's, that feels a lot more like, you know, murder. But you're still saving the same amount of people. Um, and, then, and then it goes on. And here's where it's interesting. Um, the ethics professors will say, and this is actually a like, standardized parable that they use to see, like, where's your line? What if it's a fat man? And what if he's leaning over the bar kind of foolishly, like looking to see, and all you had to do was just barely push. And they found that people would push a fat person over the bar to stop the train um, more than they would. So it, there's like this kind of bell curve about what people are willing to do because the ends justify the means for a lot of people. And that's where wisdom comes in because... Most of your life is not cut and dry, is it? I mean, churches off preachers, we often talk like, you know, there's, you know, it, it's white and black, and, but a lot of life is gray. What do you do when you don't know what to do? And that's the point of this story. That's what Solomon is trying to do. And this is why it's a perfect example of wisdom, because there's no right answer in this moment. Right and wrong are kind of, it, that's impossible. But what he's doing is giving a wise ruling to administer some form of justice. If you live long enough, you're going to have those kind of moments in life. Moments that don't have a clear black and white, you know, what should I do? And closer to where we all live, most of the decisions we have are not a matter of life and death, but a matter of competing ideas and values. Do I want to follow my career calling or do I want to live closer to home? 
Do I want to major in criminal justice? Or do I want to serve as a chaplain? Do I want to get married and settle down? Or do I want to use my singleness to be radically available for God and for other people? Every yes is a no to something else. And every no leaves it possible to say yes to something else. And that's what's different about wisdom. When we ask questions about is it right or wrong, we ask questions that aren't always formed by the Bible. And it leads to weirder conversations that the Bible is not really trying to address. For example, should you tithe on gross or net? How far is too far before you're married? These are the kind of questions we ask because we frame things in terms of right or wrong. And those kind of questions, they're rarely helpful because there's a lot of things that aren't wrong for me to do, but they're not wise. And that's the mistake we make traditionally when we think about our lives as they relate to God. Um, We point out it's not a sin for me to date her or go out with him or be friends with that person. And then we disregard the dozens of people in our life who are telling us that's not a good idea. Right? Uh, The question isn't whether it's wrong or right. The question is, is it wise or foolish for you to do it? So about, I don't know, four years ago, five years ago, my wife and I, my family, every year they get like one of those homes in the Gulf Gulf Shores, Alabama. You know, it's called Redneck Riviera or whatever. And our whole family comes, and I was coming from Abilene, um, and we have, we have five kids. And Jim Gaffigan says transporting five kids is like transporting serial killers in maximum security across state lines. So you have to have a plan and a system. And so our plan is we're going to start late at night. Um, it was a you know, 12 hour, or we're going to start in the afternoon and, you know, try to get them to, uh, watch a movie and then go to sleep. And it's like a 12, 13 hour drive from Abilene. I have it punched in on the GPS. It says we're going to get there at like 1 AM and that's just solid driving. So around 12, 45 AM, we're real close to getting there and right like 10 minutes away from there. Our GPS says now board ferry. I don't know if you know this, but ferries have operating hours. And we're there, and we were driving into a peninsula, which meant, like, when we took the ferry option off of the GPS, it was like, you have to drive all the way around, adding, like, three hours at 1 a.m., and I was so mad. I literally said, is this America or not? (laughs) Can we not build a bridge? (laughs) And I was so mad. The problem was I didn't have anybody to be mad at. It's not like they moved the peninsula to get at me. I was where I was because I had chosen to be there. Or more specifically, I hadn't chosen not to be there. The, every step along the way, I was driving towards the destination that I was. And I, I couldn't blame anybody but me. Okay, so here's what the book of Proverbs is. The book of Proverbs is a collection of wisdom statements and it's framed as a dad sitting down with his younger son and telling him this is what, giving him all these examples of uh, moments in life and what a wise decision would look like. Now, you can switch that. Like it, it's basically framing as a parent, um, you know, a mother talking to her daughter or a father talking to his son. Um, and the reason it matters to you is because there are lots of ways to learn. You can learn through your own experience. I like the way Wilt Rogers says this. You can learn through classrooms, 
You can learn through books, or you can learn by peeing on the electric fence. But you will learn. And when it comes to more serious things, do you have to learn about marriage advice by your marriage imploding? Do you have to learn financial advice by going through bankruptcy? Or can you learn from the experience of the people who have gone before you? That's where Proverbs is really helpful. So it's written to all these different kinds of situations, telling the next generation how to live. And here's the point the parent is making to their son or daughter. You have a choice. You might not always have a ton of options, but you always have a choice. You didn't get to choose what circumstances you were born into. You didn't get to choose you know, what, what your you know, means are. But you get to choose what you're going to do with where you're at now. And the question the parent keeps trying to push down to the kid is, pay attention to the direction. Okay, so th- I think this is what we're about to do is going to be really helpful for framing and understanding the book of Proverbs. And maybe it'll help you devotionally. It'll certainly help you um, think through what Proverbs is trying to do. Because Proverbs is trying to do something. The book of Proverbs opens up by talking about two directions. The way of wisdom and the way of folly. Um, in fact, the first nine chapters are all about those two roads and uh, asking a hundred different ways to the young son or young daughter, do you like the road that you're on? Um, giving you a hundred different examples of what the right track looks like. Um, and it's doing that because the problem that all of us face is not that we don't have enough information. Have you ever noticed there are some problems in life you can't Google the way? Right? The problem in life is not that we don't have enough information. There's, there's, I mean, think of all the self-help resources that we have, and yet life still looks like this. The problem in life is that we are complicated. We are complicated ourselves. More to the point, we have, each one of us have our own individual brand of stupidity. We're like the snowflake or fingerprints of dumbness. You know, we each have our own bent towards foolishness. And here's the thing, in ministry, in 15, 16 years of ministry, I've seen all kinds of really smart people, like educated, smart, you know, uh, sometimes not book smarts, it's common sense smart. I've seen all kinds of people that I really respect, who are really, really smart in lots of different ways, just totally make dumpster fires of their life. Because their foolishness took a different bent. And here's the problem where it starts to get a little bit more personal. I can see other people's foolishness, but it is hard to see in the mirror. And that's why the book of Proverbs opens up the way it does. The dad, to a young son, personifies these two paths with women. So actually, uh, let's do this. I need uh, two women. Let's do a woman on this side. Who's willing to read? It'll be on the screen. A woman on this side? Okay, thanks. And then a woman on this side who's willing to read. Miss Andy, will you read? Okay, great. So, oh, by the way, I'm sorry. You're going to be folly. So it's not personal. Much love. but Okay, um, so the dad is sitting down with this uh, son and saying, there will come a point in your life where these two different paths are presented to you, and one is Lady Wisdom. Listen to what Lady Wisdom says. If you could put that up, Brother Randy. Next slide. 
Okay, so that's Lady Wisdom. And then here's Lady Folly. Okay, so one of the things that if you're just reading this for the first time that would stand out to you. It, uh, by the way, if you're listening to this on the podcast, that was Proverbs 9, 1 through 6 and Proverbs 9, 14 through 16 because y'all weren't mic, but y'all did a great job reading. But one of the things that would stand out to you if you're reading this for the first time or you know, kind of doing this script with father to son or mother to daughter is that both of these women are saying very similar things. Hey, everybody who's simple, have we got a treat for you? And the reason that's important is because this is a parent sitting down with their child and saying, just as clearly as they can, and here's what they're saying, your choices have consequences. The things that you decide to do will, have, will set you on uh, a path, and there are plenty of times in life you will see an attractive option Something that looks like a good idea. Buy this on credit. Date that person even though they don't share the same values you do. Hang on, uh, hang out with those people even though they might drag you down. And in those moments, the parent wants the kid to know you have two voices. Lady wisdom and lady folly. The true prophet and the false prophet. And they both sound really similar, but one leads to life and the other leads to death. And um, the best way to know how to tell which one is which is notice what Lady Folly tells them. Hey, come on, I got, a, I got a great treat for you. I got a great meal. But let's take this in the shadows. Let's take this out of the light. Nobody, this is nobody else's business. Miss Wisdom, Lady Wisdom, is inviting people into a meal that's out in the open because she's got nothing to hide. But Lady Folly has got a lot going on in the shadows. She wants to divert you away from other people. Um... And it's not that it's wrong, but it is a step in a questionable direction, isn't it? A, a direction away from the people that care about you. And one of, the, one of the great kind of red flags to get up on everybody's radar for a step towards foolishness is when people who you know love you start to question your decisions, is it possible that they're not doing it because they're judgmental jerks who hate you and hate God? Is it possible they're doing this because they actually see something coming that you cannot? Lady Folly is trying to say, hey, let's take this in the shadows. And Proverbs, dad is trying to tell the son, mother's trying to tell the daughter. That can be a step in the direction of fools. One leads away from community and the other leads towards it. Uh, so many of us have worked really hard in our life not to make the right decision, but to make our decision right. Can I get an amen from somebody? Do you know what I'm talking about? You know, like, think about this. Self-deception comes really easy to me, right? Given enough time, I can make, I can figure out how to spin anything. I can make, you know, skipping a workout, you know, man, I just really need a rest. I can, I can you know, I need that ice cream or that late night pizza because I just got to, I got to live a little. Um, 
And given enough time, here's the thing about us, given enough time, every one of us can find a Bible verse or two to support our bad decisions. I mean, how many times have you seen this happen? People, you've seen people you love talk themselves out of good decisions and into bad ones. Um, and, and talk themselves into thinking that people who love them, like really love them, had the, uh, didn't have their best interest at heart. And the people who get this is every parent who's ever existed. There's a reason that the parent is the one who's warning the kid about lady wisdom and lady folly. Because, you know, as a parent of five kids, I see things coming they can't see. And then it makes me look back and be like, so that's why mom and dad were like that. That's why they, were, they would say, hey, I don't know that you're... And it, and it didn't make sense, and they were just old fogies who didn't get love, and you know, all those problems. But now it starts to make sense, like, oh, they saw the path that I was headed on. And here's the thing, what Proverbs is trying to do, and this is the whole chapter 9, what Proverbs is trying to do is not just create a wise person, it's trying to create a wise community. So right in the middle of that, right in the middle of these two ladies, Lady Wisdom and Lady Folly, is this passage, if you could put that up, in verse 7 through 12 of chapter 9. Whoever corrects, these are in between the two women, whoever corrects a mocker invites insult. Whoever rebukes the wicked incurs abuse. Do not rebuke mockers or they will hate you. Rebuke the wise and they will love you. Instruct the wise and they will be wiser still. Teach the righteous and they will add to their learning. Next slide. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. For through wisdom your days will be many and years will be added to your life. If you are wise, your wisdom will reward you. If you are a mocker, you alone will suffer. So here's why this is so important. Um, One of the things that is the most enlightening thing about the book of Proverbs to me is that the people that that are most considered wise in our culture today, Proverbs thousands of years ago called them fools. They're known as scoffers, mockers, cynics. And today, if you want to be seen as wise quicker than anybody in the room, you just show how well you can deconstruct things. Um, one, of the, one of the things, you even heard it in Proverbs 9, but it kind of runs throughout the book of Proverbs, sarcasm is a good red flag for whether somebody is a mocker or a scoffer. Um, in, the, in the Proverbs, there are a few different kinds of uh, fools. The scoffer, the mocker, Proverbs says don't even bother trying to correct them. Which, by the way, I bet some of you had experience trying to correct cynical, scoffer kind of people. They don't care about what other people think. They're not interested in the other side of things. They're smarter than you. They are the smartest person in the room. They got everything figured out. Um, they're the smartest person in the room in every room they go into, and yet they're not. What's interesting about this character to me is it's filled with faith. Cynic, cynical people make the huge jump from some to all, as if they could even know that. You know, bankers, all bankers just do it for the money. The, uh, you know, all politicians are corrupt and just want power. All churches or religious institutions or preachers or whatever are X, Y, and Z. As if that, you, you could ever know that. And the point of uh, what Proverbs is trying to say about scoffers is... Um, uh, they are overstating their case and under-aware of their own reality. They mouth off a lot. They can be funny and charming and witty, but Proverbs says, 
watch out for them because they're a fool. Not that you don't need to be skeptical. Not that you, that, I mean, I get deconstruction and all those things. But Proverbs has been saying for thousands of years, what we would call um, wise is foolish. And here's the reason this is important. The world we live in, we didn't get here by accident. We have been led to the point that we're at today in every way, politically, morally, spiritually, because we are on a path. You know, not just culturally in our country, but church-wide, um, socially speaking, we are very foolish. Think about what we celebrate. You go to the supermarket, and we don't celebrate the wisest person of the year, right? We celebrate the most beautiful people, the sexiest people, the wealthiest, the most famous. We're cynical. Uh, we're cynical of, of people who can like develop good virtue by making wise choices. Um, by the way, this is the thing about scoffers. Scoffers and mockers, they're cynical about things like religion. But think about what we're not cynical of. Think about how much things have slid under our radar. Like, what was it, last year when it turns out that Apple has been with our iPhones um, making the batteries go dead just so they could raise the, um, you remember that? And like for a week we're like, oh, that's not cool. And then we're waiting in line the next September for them to tell us how, what we want next and how much we're willing to pay for it. We're, we're cynical to anything that pushes back on our own personal autonomy, but we, we let so many things slide. So here's a question for people who, like, even the stuff that I'm saying about cynicism that may be grading a little bit on you. Does your wisdom serve just yourself and your immediate desires and wants, or does it look past you and past just right now? Does your wisdom tear down a lot of other people and other stuff, stuff that ask too much of you? Because here's what Proverbs really does want us to do. It wants us to think deeply about what kind of life we want, what kind of life we really want. What kind of friends do you want to have in life? What kind of friends do you, people do you want to be surrounded with? What kind of friend do you want to be? Wisdom is asking you, and this is so, so big. I actually think this is going to be where it gets really helpful. Wisdom is, ask, is asking us to ask this question. If I make this decision, if I was to make this decision every day for the rest of my life, would I like the direction or the end that it would finally take me to? And there's good news for you. We can find that out. Okay, so when I taught this, I had a telescope on the platform with me. And it was a really helpful visual aid, but I couldn't fit it in my bag, and I didn't know how to get a telescope here. But basically, just imagine a telescope. If it helps, I'll just you know, do this for a second, and you picture a telescope. Because the word telescope comes from the Greek word telos. Any ideas of what telos means? Come on, somebody say it out loud if you know it. End, end. Ultimate aim or object is actually like the um, specific de uh, definition, but yeah, end. And it, it's a big idea in both the Jewish Christian story and in the wisdom tradition. And basically it's saying, you can look ahead. If you were to zoom in on this particular decision, on the path that this particular decision is um, setting you on, will you like where it takes you? This is what God asked Solomon in his life. What do you want in life? What is your life aimed at? Because what you really want is almost always what you are walking towards. And some of us need to be really, really honest with ourselves on what we really want. Um, so the way a telescope works is you point it ahead and you look and it kind of focuses in and helps you see the ultimate aim. 
And the reason that's important is because if you ask the question, if I made this decision every day for the rest of my life, would I like where it leads? It would change the way we answer today. Change what we say yes to. Because most of the problems that you came to in life did not happen in a moment, right? Some of the biggest regrets we had were not things that happened in a split second. In fact, I would argue for most of us, none of the biggest regrets we had in life happened in a split second. All those regrets had decisions, beginnings, that were followed up one step at a time. This is the point of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs dozens of times uses the terminology of path. You are choosing a path with every yes or no. When we feel stuck, when we feel uh, trapped, the truth is every one of us are moving. We're moving in a certain direction. And to look at, and this this is why I love Proverbs so much. So um, it's really practical. It's super practical. Like, for example, if you could put this one, Proverbs 27, 14, if anyone loudly blesses their neighbor in the, early in the morning, it will be taken as a curse. How awesome is that proverb? You know what it's saying? It's saying there are two kinds of people in this world. There are morning people, and there are people who hate morning people. Don't be that guy is what the dad is telling the son or mother's telling the daughter. You do not find that in the Ten Commandments. You do not find that in Isaiah or Jeremiah or even the Gospels. But the dad knows, hey, look, a well-intended greeting at 5.30 in the morning is going to backfire. And that's worth knowing. God thinks it's worth knowing. He cares about the nuances of our daily experience. And I love the book of Proverbs because here's what it tells, like theologically, about the scriptures. God actually cares about the kind of daily lives that we're living, the the moment-by-moment lives. He cares about our understanding of the massive story that we're in, what God is up to. But he also cares about your Tuesdays. We need God's help moment-by-moment. And that's why the wisdom tradition stuff is so helpful once you kind of figure out what it's trying to do, which is ask the question, what kind of man, what kind of woman do you really want to be? What kind of telos do you want your life to have? The problem with the paths that we pick is that we rarely look ahead and ask, where's this leading? There's no sign saying, you know, if you date that guy, it's trouble, you turn as uh, quickly as possible. But, and this is what Proverbs is trying to do, it's trying to create a community where you can speak into each other's lives. Where the people around you, people that you trust them, can see your blind spots and tell you, listen, that path that you're on is trouble. And you can do the same thing for them. And so the point of the telos or telescope to look ahead, the wisdom point, is to get out, tease out in your life, what is the thing that you want, your deepest desires, what do you want more than anything else? What is it that you want? For some people, it would be if they were really honest and they were just saying out loud the deepest desires of their heart, it would be to be incredibly famous, to have a lot of followers on Instagram or wh- whatever, it, whatever that looked like for them. And I have great news for you. If that's your telos, if you can be honest with yourself about your telos, you can actually look ahead because there are people who have done that, who have gotten all of that that you would be considered, that you'd be tempted to chase with in your life. I think of people like Jim Carrey who says, I wish everyone could get rich and famous so they could see that it's not the answer to anything. There is a way to look ahead and see what leads to great joy and happiness. And Proverbs has been saying that for thousands of years. What do you want in life? You want to get married? Here's what a a father told his son thousands of years earlier. Look at this. Better to live on a corner of the roof than share a house with a quarrelsome wife. What's he saying? Somewhat jarringly in our Western world. But basically... Think of this, a mother telling a daughter, a father telling a son, 
listen, I know you want to get married, but it is better to wake up every morning and be alone than to wake up every morning and wish you were. That's what has happened. And this, is, this has been in your Bible for thousands of years. And this would have saved a lot of heartache. So what do you want? Really? Do you want to be financially secure? Proverbs is really, really helpful, really, really nuanced on this. It says you've got to work hard. You've got to treat people well. Don't develop bad habits. You've got a shot at it. But if you do that, and this is what I love about the book of Proverbs, one of my favorite Proverbs is, yeah, you know what? If, you have, if you're rich, you can pay off the ransom if somebody kidnaps your kid. But if you're not rich, no one's ever going to kidnap your kid. <laughs> Which is a great proverb. And you know what it's saying? It's saying to people who think, because and by the way, in this room, I bet 90% of us have this kind of deep desire that we're not like bringing out to the surface often to get financially secure, to be financially secure. And what Proverbs has been saying for thousands of years is, when you reach that end point, you will not feel more secure. You will feel more anxious. And at least be honest with yourself about that. Because it will change what you say yes to and what you say no to. Okay, so one last thing and then we're done. In the book of Proverbs, there's three principal characters. The first is the simple. This is the person who's young. Simple is not good or bad. They are just inexperienced. They haven't lived enough, right? They're young. They, uh, They can learn. They are open. This is the person that both Lady Folly and Lady Wisdom are trying to reach. The second character is the fool. This is the person who they're not going to listen. Basically, no matter what you say, sometimes it's the scoffer, but whatever it is, they're the ones who they're not going to look ahead. They're not interested in the future. They're living for right now. And the third is the wise. These are the people that um, they're paying attention Um, They're the people who are looking ahead and trying to make decisions today for what will. (laughs) Thank you. You guys can enjoy that picture of me and my dad and son. Um, They're trying to figure out today what will happen tomorrow if they make these kind of choices. And the reason this is important is because here's what the book of Proverbs is trying to do. It's trying to say, for the simple, the cure is time. You can figure... it's fine to be simple. If you're young, eventually, you know, with the right kind of people around you in life, with the right kind of experience, you're going to become wise. The cure for the simple is time. But the cure for the full is tragedy. Because it turns out, you know, you may not care what the Surgeon General says about that. But the Surgeon General knows what he's talking about, knows what she's talking about. Turns out there are people who have gone before you, and they, those experiences did have something to teach you. And now, because you can't listen to them, you will have those experiences yourself. And what Proverbs is trying to do is create a community of people who are wise, who can hear from each other's experiences and learn to look ahead and ask. Okay, Jesus says in in uh. Uh, well, Matthew 7 is where he says the wise and foolish builders, people who put my words into practice, um, they're, they're planning ahead. 
But then in Luke 7, he says something that I think is really interesting to Pharisees who are like, you know, trying to pin him down on right or wrong stuff. He says, you know what, you guys complain about John the Baptist. You were all, you know, all angry at, G, at John the Baptist because he was, you know, austere and he was avoiding, you know, uh, religious celebrations and stuff. And now you're calling me a drunkard and a glutton. Remember what Jesus says to them then? But wisdom is, wisdom is proved right by all her children. And you know what he's saying? You know what happens? Everybody knows what happens to kids. They grow up. And eventually what happened in the home, generally speaking, sets a trajectory for their life. As the father of five kids, again, don't blame me for everything that my kids do in the future. But generally speaking, what Jesus is saying is, look, you can argue with me because wisdom will let you win the argument, but lose at life. And Jesus is saying, yeah, you can say that. You can point out all the ways that you think you're right and I'm wrong. But look at the trajectory of my life. Because um, wisdom is proven right by all her children. Okay, so tomorrow we're going to talk about, uh, I, th I think I've got uh, money, sex, and friends in the um, Proverbs thing. We might just get a couple of those. And, then, and the reason I, I chose those is because I think those are where we are the most foolish. Um, and Proverbs has, has got a, a, both a counter word to speak and a gospel word to speak on both of those things. And then, the, uh, man, I wish I could just tell you right now, because it really is good news. It's good news. So um, let's close with a prayer and then let's go to lunch. God, thank you so much for this wisdom. Thank you for being concerned about our daily lives. Things like having good friends and not being lonely. Things like um, not putting the weight of our worship on our finances or our sexuality. Um, things like uh, learning how to negotiate the tricky parts of relationships. God, help us to be in our churches, uh, people who help uh, our churches be wise communities. For those of us who have wise people in our lives, help us to have open hearts that are receptive to wisdom. <clears throat> help us to be the kind of men and women who are <coughs> wise and caring enough to tell other people when we see them taking a step towards foolishness. In Jesus' name we pray all this. Amen. All right, go in peace.